Well, it's good to be back, and I had a good time um, visiting with my cousin and friends and going to rodeos and things like that. But anyway, we had a really good time, but it is good to be back, and, and just glad to be back in the book of Genesis this morning. When you think about kind of where we've been and what we've been uh, studying and looking at uh, over the, the stories of, of Genesis, we honestly, we have to just be reminded a couple weeks ago that we were with Abram watching him just as he's... Uh, uh, had this kind of crisis of faith in Egypt, and it's what you might say kind of a faltering of faith. And where we are today is Abram has come to this place where he certainly did like not trust the Lord, and he was out kind of trying to get his own way. He was going to make his way with God, and he thought really what he would do is he would tell lies and deceive the people in Egypt, and ultimately he got caught and God rescued him. And so today when we're looking here, we're saying, look, what does Abram look like now? Has he learned? Has he grown? And of course, we're going to see him as he's moving along the way. And specifically in this story, we're going to see his, his, uh, his trust in God, his growth in, in resting in God, his, his ability to, to, to just be assured of God and trust that God's going to provide for him and he's going to trust. And we see a humble Abram and an Abram who is now walking by faith. It's certainly clear. Also in the story today, we're looking at the passage, and it's, it's kind of in, in helping us see Lot, and we're going to see Lot kind of walk in unbelief, you might say, or walk in a, in a way that would be most pleasing to him. Lot is going to take what he can. He's going to grab his, 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 uh, his inheritance his own way, and he's going to do so by what he can see. It's interesting, I think, if you look at uh, one passage of Scripture that, that kind of goes against doing what we can see. Often in our own world, as we look around, we want to see and say, this is the way to go as, as a result of what we can see with our own eyes. And in this passage and in other passages, and primarily you see that in Hebrews 11.6, the Scripture says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. We see often in Scripture that we are, we are going to have to walk blindly. God calls us to that. He calls us to a humble faith. We're trusting in Him. I don't know if you've ever prayed, and, and I have at times where you pray and you think, Lord, why does He not always answer my prayers? Often, what is He doing? He is teaching me to grow in faith. I can't see what He's going to do. I don't know the next direction God has for me, and I have to trust and humbly trust and rest in his providence and in his care. I don't know if you've ever heard of the movie Matrix, but it's it's this movie about really realities are shifted and you realize that you've been living in a place that's not really reality. You see that kind of throughout this this movie. Well, one portion of this movie that the main character is being it's, he's all this stuff is revealed to him and he sees this woman in a red dress who's very beautiful and she turns his eye and the guy that's kind of leading him along the way to help him see that his reality's all messed up. He stops him and says, look back, and the guy's holding a gun at his, at his forehead. And you see oftentimes what we see or think so beautiful, everything in our lives, it glitters, and we think, oh, that must be gold. In reality, we understand the Scripture reveals over and over again that God is calling us to trust Him in what we cannot see. It is the life of faith that we're called to. And I think what we have to be careful of today, and as we're looking at this text, is we have to ask the question at the bottom line, what are we longing for? Is it only what we can see? Are we wanting, for instance, in this church, myself included, often I want to see God move in a certain way. I want to see the results 
of my labor. I want to see, like, I want to be able to, at the, each quarter, be able to see the results of what I've done. And I struggle with that often in my whole, in my life. It, it, the bottom line for us is in the Christian life is often you are walking by faith. You feel like you're in darkness and you're walking down a path where you cannot see. But God has called us to do so, to store up treasure in the world to come and to press on in Him. So I just encourage you this morning, I think what you see here in this text is kind of this Psalm 1 picture of where when you study Psalm 1, you see that this one man, he walks by faith and the other the other people out there, they're walking almost the opposite of faith. And I think you see that today as we're looking at these two men and hopefully we'll understand that more clearly and we'll see how God is working through the unseen often. And so let's start here in verse 1. It says, So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him to the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he sojourned on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to that place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. So what are we seeing here? We see Abram leaving Egypt. He's leaving there and he's coming out of Egypt with many possessions. And we said that that's what happens later in the history of Israel. The same thing. They come out of Egypt blessed even though they're in a difficult situation. He travels back. And the picture here is he is coming back to the place where he initially, when he went into the promised land, it was a place where he had set up an altar before and he comes back to that place. There's an element here, and I think you would say, it would be clear to say, there's an element of repentance. He has turned away from his former ways. He is returning back to the Lord, back to the place of God's promise, back to faith, back to a place of joy, intimacy in God's presence. He is, he is coming back to that place of worship. Now here's what's interesting. When I was a kid, people would always talk about backsliders, like somebody that's backslidden. They would say it over and over and again. And when I heard them say that, they would often talk about someone who had been kind of in this state of, of rebellion, but then you know, almost like they were preaching these people, they are backslidden so that they would return back to the place God had for them. And honestly, what we see in Scripture and what we're seeing here is how does God respond to a backslidden man? There's this element where we're going to see throughout the study is it's the kindness of the Lord that we're going to see towards Abram, even in his unbelief. God has brought him back to him, and not only that, he has been gracious to him. And so we see, I think, in that the kindness of God. Now, have you ever went your own way? Have you ever thought, man, if I look back over my life, I remember these moments where I, I pursued my own way. And yet, I, I look back at those and I see that even in the midst of that, like God rescued me in a mighty way. You see, sometimes that's what the Lord does is even in our rebellion, He's coming to rescue him. And that's what He did in Egypt. He rescued him from his rebellion and his disobedience to God. It's a powerful thing. And yet, He's not cast away. He is able to come back to the Lord. One guy I heard him say recently, that that's, that is the way that the Lord works in us. Oftentimes we find ourselves sliding away from the Lord and then we, as we come back, He's always there to forgive us and we can run back to Him and we can repent and turn to Him in faith and He is there. Psalm 103 says this, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does 
He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. It's a powerful thing to know that. This church is a place where we say to you, listen to me, we think you're a bigger sinner than you do. Did you know that? I mean, really, you are a bigger sinner than you ever think that you are. You really are. And your life is one of stumbling in faith. And what God does is is He he responds to those who repent and trust in Him. Honestly, He is working all along the way, even in your sin, to bring about a result of causing you to come back to Him. That's what This church is, again, we are people who know our sin is great, but realize that God knows our sins greater than we ever thought our sin was, and yet God is immeasurably gracious to us. And He shows compassion to us. And He knows that we are but dust, and He continues to strengthen us. The Christian life is one of that. Now notice what it says, He calls upon the name of the Lord. It is the idea of He is proclaiming faith. It's really, our lifetime should be one of calling upon the name of the Lord. It is professing faith. It has an evangelistic kind of picture to it. To call upon the name of the Lord is to speak of the Lord. To say, I'm aligning myself with the Lord. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, the Scripture says, will be saved. It is the idea of professing faith. It is a statement of faith. But yet, as we're kind of thinking through that, He's calling upon the name of the Lord. It's somewhere where He'll come back to and He's set up a place where He worships God. Every time you come into this time together with us as a church, we are, it is a time of calling upon the name of the Lord, of trusting in the Lord, of proclaiming our faith in the Lord, of singing about the Lord, of hearing the Word taught and so that we can think about the Lord. It's, it's a returning to Him. It's, it's coming close to Him. And I think it's important, but we also do that as we go through life. As we're moving along through our place where we live, as we see Him here, He's going back to His land and He's speaking about God. It's a powerful thing for us. Now, as they get there, they get to this place and and you see Abram returning to the Lord and returning to the land and they're dwelling there. The reality is we said they had received a lot of possessions, so what's going to take place? Well, we know in verses 5-7, through that, they, that Abram and Lot are together there. And Lot's his nephew. And they are together and they're going to have many possessions. And you know, if we studied Genesis and as we do, we understand down the road is like Abram had 300, I think, and 18 different people in his household. This is a massive thing for them. They're, they are together, but it's a huge group of people. And you can understand in that time period where they walked around and they sojourned and they lived in tents, there comes a place where you're like, this is really difficult for all of us to be there together. It's a massive group of people. The sheer size of their operation would make it tough for them to live together. Now what happens in this text? Well, the, 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 the guys that are the servants are out there together and they're starting to kind of struggle and they fight among each other and they're going to begin to argue about different things and certainly there's issues that arise and so there's all this kind of tension that's building among these people. Now, we talked about this this week, but we would say, like, why do you argue? Like, why, why do you argue with people? And I heard in the study guide, I mean, as we were discussing earlier, they were talking about pride causes arguments. The lack of humility, the desire and passion for something. Have you ever been somewhere, like maybe you're a kid and you played on a playground and there's a bunch of kids out there 
And everybody's kind of going after it. And all of a sudden, somebody says, I want to go first. No, I want to go first. No, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to pick first. When they're separating teams or whatever it might be, we always have that kind of struggle. And just like on the little playground that happens, you get around adults that do that. I don't know if you've ever managed people, but sometimes if you're in a leadership role, you think, I'm like a parent here. And there's a bunch of little kids out there working, and they're just like fighting all the time, and all these different things. You're like, good night, what is going on? Adults kind of don't grow out of that. They're always kind of struggling with, with wanting their way and pursuing their way. Why do people uh, really, why do they keep arguing and fighting? It's because the natural tendency is to want what's ours. I'm going to get what I want, and if somebody gets in my way and I trample them, that's okay. Because I get what I want. It, we don't ever get away from this. I, I used to always joke around. I, I worked with youth for a number of years, and there was, I don't know what it came from, but we would say, dial 911 and call the ambulance. You ever do that? I would always do it, be like, why don't you dial 911 and call the ambulance? You know, because I don't want to hear your little crybaby stuff. But the reality is, over and over, we're struggling with that. And we're still whining. And we still want our way. And we see it over and over in our lives. Now, this issue is something that's not going to be resolved by just, just letting it go. Let's push it under the rug. They have to deal with it. And so we're going to see that as we're moving forward. But I just want you to think about a couple of other texts that will help you. Now, we looked at this in our group, but I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2 because I just want to hit a couple of other things there that I think will be helpful for you as we're, we're looking at this text. Philippians chapter 2. And I want you to start in verse 12. And we're just going to be there for a moment, but I want you to think about that because the reality is whether you're at home or you're at work or you're at church or you're wherever, this battle's going to go on. There's going to come a time where people are going to want their own way and they're going to argue and try to get it. Just the natural tendency of man. But the Apostle Paul's going to address that. Because although the church in Philippi, I mean, there are wonderful blessings about this church. He is going to encourage them about all the things that they're doing. But what we're going to find out is in Philippians chapter 4, there's a couple of ladies in there that are struggling with one another, but they're people that are doing ministry. They are passionate about serving God. Now, when you get to 2.12, before you get to chapter 4, and Paul addresses a couple of people, he's going to deal with the issue of when you are living for with, with gospel intention, when you are living to be a blessing to other people, when you are living to serve God in ministry, when you are seeking to live your life most to the glory of God, that doesn't eliminate oftentimes some level of strife and struggle. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and work for His good pleasure. The issue here is not working for your salvation, but work out living, your, living this out, this salvation, this Gospel that's come to you. You live in light of that now. You, you want to live in a way that would bring glory and honor to God that would, it would help advance the Gospel wherever you are. He's already kind of told them that. So now, like as you try to live out this Christian life, know that God's at work in you. 
Now, here's kind of the struggle that comes behind that. Trying to live out the Christian life on an island, as I say oh, so often, sometimes seems easier. Trying to live that out in Christ's community church oftentimes feels a little more difficult. I am so much more spiritual when I'm studying for a sermon and not hanging out with you. Right? But then when I have to get around you, I'm, jo- I'm joking, kind of, but anyway, when I have to get around other believers and I have to listen to what they say and I have to hear what they're thinking and I have to listen to what they desire and what their passions are, then all of a sudden, sometimes they don't line up with me. Right? So notice what he says. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation where grumbling and disputing is normal. You're living in a world where grumbling and disputing and selfishness is king. You're living in a world where people love their thrones. They want to reign on it. They are trying to get on top of that mountain and hope no one pushes them off. You're living in a world where grumbling and disputing is default. But you, but you are not that. You are not called to that. Be blameless and innocent children of God in a crooked and perverse generation. Be people that look like you're supposed to look so that people won't look at you and say, there's no light there. There's no light in them. Those Christians, there's no light. It's darkness. It's rebellion. It's, it is fighting. It's division. They look at that and say, why would you want to be a part of something that seems so dark? He's saying, put aside yourselves. Work out your salvation in the context of a believing community to accomplish the will of God. Do that. Live that out. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I not run or labor in vain. Now I say that because it sets the pattern, I think in some ways, to look at verse 1. He, does ne- he never gives you something to do to, to a certain way to live that He doesn't ground it in something. And so what He says is, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any encouragement in living for Christ, any comfort from His love, any participation in the Spirit, if the Spirit really does work in the body, any affection and, and compassion or sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, just step by step, He's saying being full accord in one mind, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let one another be more, think of others as more important than yourself. It's a very powerful passage here. He's laying it out and he's saying, don't, don't think first about yourself. When you come to this church, when you come to Sunday morning gatherings, when you get in your study guide group, when you're visiting with each other in your, all of your life, it's not you first. The question is not, what do I get out of my church? What's the church giving me? What can I get from this and that and this? How can I take more? How can I 
put more in my mind and I can just, oh, be the most knowledgeable person. That is not what he's saying. He's saying have the attitude of Christ who is not looking first for himself. If he had looked first for himself, he would have stayed in heaven. But he left heaven and came to earth and he went down to the place of a servant. And not only that, so much of a servant that he died on the cross. See that. Get a glimpse of that. And then the question is not what I get out of it. It's what I give to it. Does that make sense? You're like, aren't you going to preach on Genesis 13? Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. No. But it's a high calling to ask the question, when conflict arises, which it will with sinful people like you and me, what road do I take? And the more, listen to me, (laughs) the closer you are to Jesus, the less you're thinking about yourself. Do you realize that? The closer you are to Jesus, the less you think about yourself. The less you ask, what am I getting out of it? The less you ask, what are they doing for me? The closer I am to Jesus, the less I think that. I'm thinking, what do I do for them? How can I serve them? How can I lay aside my own, my own precious desires and think about somebody else? You will see this in your prayer life, in your study life, in your times together with people. What do you talk about most? What do you pray for most? When's the last time we as a people, individually and both corporately, we're praying for others? How often am I thinking about my other brothers and sisters first before myself? When I think have time to, to ponder, am I thinking about how, how bad my life is? Or am I thinking about how, how I have to give myself? And I do that. I struggle with that. I'll think about me first and others second. He's calling you to look at Jesus and follow His example. Now listen to me. In the power that God provides. In, in the Spirit's power. God is working that in His people. And I just think it's important just to nail that now. Go back to chapter 13. Because it sets the stage for the rest of this study. As you're looking at chapter 13 of Genesis, you're going to see how does Abram respond to conflict? How is he going to respond to struggle? In verses 8-13, through we see what he does. Now listen to me. Abram could cite age. I'm older. He could say, I'm wiser. He could say, I have the place in the community. Our little family, I'm the chief. I'm number one. I've lived longer. Not only that, he could say spiritually. God had chosen him to accomplish this plan. God said, you are mine. I chose you to be the one. I'll bless all the nations. Lot has been piggybacking on his uncle his whole life. Abram could look at him and say, dude, What are you thinking? Why would you even in in one level think I should be the one to pick? Abram is the one not only in that culture, there was a chief in the culture and a family and a tribe and there would be one man who made the decisions for the family. And he was that man. Think Abraham to be proud if he made the decision. It was the normal thing to do. But Abram's sitting there. And he looks at Lot and he says, choose the place. 
We've got to split up. We're too large now. The Lord has really blessed us now. You choose what you think would be best for you. You see here a humble faith, a trust in God's providential care. Abram is not trying to fight for himself. He's through with himself. He is laying aside himself. He is laying aside his authority. He is laying aside all of his privileges. He is laying aside all the benefits of being Abram. And he is giving himself to Lot in complete, just laying out and saying, Lot, you choose today where you would want to live. Now notice what happens. Lot's so opposite of that. Lot stands up and he looks out and he is looking around and he's thinking, what would be the greatest place for me to move? And Lot chooses his place in the Jordan Valley and he's thinking about it. Do you know what's in his mind? He had heard the stories about Eden where the two rivers had met together and it was a fertile land. It was a beautiful land. Everything about it looked so appealing to the eyes. Not only that, he thinks about Egypt. He's just left there. They were about to starve to death where Abram had chosen to live or God had chosen for them to live. They're in a place of great struggle. And so Lot looks out and he says, good night. The Jordan Valley... The river's running through. It's fertile. It's green. It's beautiful. Everything about that says, I need to grab that. Lot is a man who looks with his eyes. He is not seeing with the eyes of faith. He is looking with his natural eyes at what he thinks is best for him. The grass is greener in Sodom and he is going to choose it. He's looking out there and he grasps for that. It is a place where, listen to me, we talked about this earlier with the church. What do I get most out of it? What am I going to get? The first question, what's best for me? We can do that in the church. You can do that in your business. You can do that in your home. You can do that in any situation in your life. You can treat everything around you as what is best for me. And it will show itself out in the way that you choose and the way you look at things and what you live for and what you're pursuing and walking after. And Lot chose for himself, it says. He chose for himself. He chose by his... his, He looked up. It does remind you of Eden where Eve looked up, her eyes set the gaze on a beautiful fruit and she reached for it and grabbed it. We see this in this, this idea that later, what, the, what does the Scripture tell us about this land? It says these men were evil. They were rebellious against the Lord. They were people, great sinners against the Lord. Later, we're going to find out about Lot. He gets his tent. He gets a little bit closer to Sodom. He goes a little bit further. Ultimately, he's living in Sodom. He goes a little bit further. He becomes one of the judges in Sodom. Later we're going to find out he's sitting beside the gate. He would make decisions about the world. He is the picture of a worldly man. A man who is seeking after all this present world has to offer. He is going to sit in the gates among the sinners that are great sinners against the Lord. And the Scripture says he will be tormented there as he had chosen his way. Now we're just going to keep thinking through that as you're kind of moving forward in that. When you look at your life, as you ask the question about your own personal life, what, where do you, how do you make decisions? When you look at what, what is best, it, when you think about like what is going to be the best decision here, is it always more money, more power, more influence, more whatever? Is your decision always that way? Are we always seeking after this 
present world, trying to gain as much as we possibly can. You see this in, in, in the heart of Lot here, and it's such a dangerous place to be. Now, Lot goes. And after he leaves, Abram is left there with the Lord. Lot actually travels east. If you remember, Cain traveled east of Eden. Lot travels east. He's, really, it said Cain was going away from the presence of the Lord. And when we think about Lot, he is moving away from the presence of the Lord into the presence of those who are rebellious sinners, rejectors of the Lord. It's kind of a beautiful, I mean, it's a powerful picture for us in this moment, in this text, I think. In verses 14 through 18, though, we see the Lord speaks to Abram. I'm going to read that to you. It says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For the land that, I, that you see I will give you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. He tells him, look, Abram, get up and look. Look all around this land. I'm giving you this land. I'm going to give you this land as, as, as an inheritance that will continue forward forever. I'm giving you this land to your offspring. It's a powerful statement to him. If you think about Abram's life at this point, there is that element to where Abram knows the Lord had fought for him, but you kind of wonder, is the Lord still wanting to do something with me? After all of his sin and all these things that transpire in Egypt, will God still do that? God reminds him of his promises. Listen, one of the things, that I don't feel like I really got this early on in my Christian life. Over and over in the Scripture, God will make promises and then He's going to repeat the promise. Why does He do that? Why does God keep telling us about His goodness to us? Why is it every week in a worship service we don't just talk about your sin, but we assure you of pardon? We speak over you the promise, the promise that God forgives us in Christ. Why is that? Because my natural tendency is, is to, th to forget. I need to hear God say to me over and over, He's reminding me of His goodness over and over and over again. He is going to speak to Abram in this way. He will speak to Abram's son in this way. He will speak to Abram's grandson in this way. He will speak to Israel in this way. He will speak to the new Israel in this way. He will say, I am faithful to what I have promised. I need to hear that because God is good to us. He is promising an inheritance and He will fulfill it. He is going to make Abram a great nation and He will do it. Now listen, the reality is Abram never saw all that God had promised. I really believe in our walk of faith, you find yourself so often not seeing it in the time that you would want to. God is leading us by faith and He keeps saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to accomplish this. We get to read the whole Bible and see God fulfilling His promises, but we still are waiting. And we are waiting upon the Lord to accomplish all that He says that He will do. And sometimes that is very difficult for us to do so. But I think we need to keep going back and seeing the promise of God over and over and over again. 
he stops after God has walked him through the land and builds another altar. And he worships the Lord and he praises the God who has saved him. The natural response to God's moving, to God's working in your life is gratitude. We should be filled with that and we see that in his response here. Now, as we kind of conclude today, I want you to think about a couple of things. One is this, when you're looking at this study and you're thinking about Lot, you're asking the question, is your life patterned that way? Are you living for this present age? Are you living for this age that, that it is now? Are you seeking to store up enough as much as you possibly can in the present? Are you seeking to store up for the future? You kind of ask that question, am I walking with my eyes only? Am I, am I walking wanting just to see God to show me right now? And if He doesn't, then I'm out. If you're doing that, you're, you're missing it. Because that is not the way the Lord has worked it. Are you seeking to store up as much happiness in the present rather than in the future? That's always a dangerous place. We have to ask that question over and over because in America, every time we get anywhere, we realize everything is about frustrating your present condition. Don't find contentment now. You need something else. You need to reach out and grab for this present age. Store up as much fun, as much excitement, as much stuff as you can now. Are you walking in the way of Lot? Are you walking in the way of a foolish person? Or are you resting in the Lord? Are you seeking an eternal future? Are you looking for the things to come? Are you waiting for the days when Christ will return and all things will be restored? Am I storing up as much happiness in the world to come as I possibly can? Am I living my life in such a way where I'm longing and pursuing with all of my might the age to come? When I'm dreaming about my life, when I'm writing out maybe goals for my life, what are those goals? Are they about the kingdom of God? Are they about building up the church of God? Are they about extending the gospel of God? You see, when you begin to dream, you begin to reveal what you long for most. And if it's all built on this world, you are living like Lot. And you're not seeking first the kingdom of God. We have to ask that question for ourselves day after day after day. Someone mentioned this, and I thought it was very powerful. Abram, Abram is in a lot of ways here. Uh, you would say almost a picture of what Christ was to us. Jesus left all the glories of heaven and came down to us. He served us when we didn't deserve to be served. He laid down His life, all of His rights and privileges and all these things, and He completely laid them down in a much greater way than Abram ever did with Lot. Jesus laid down His life for us. He became cursed for us. He was crucified for us. He was, he was condemned for us, Jesus laid it all down. He was crucified and He laid it down for us. Laid down His life so that we might live. So that we might could choose Him. He not only laid down His life, but He revealed the way to salvation. He says, anyone who comes after Me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the question for you today, I don't know if you've ever turned to Christ, and sometimes we don't always say this to you, but I'm going to tell you today, it is extremely important that you understand that today is the day of salvation. You need to repent and turn to Christ. You come in humble faith, resting in the promises of God. 
That's what we are to do. You are to abandon this present world. You are to see with the eyes of faith. You are not seeing just what you can get in the present. You are looking beyond the present to the the King who came and died and gave His life for us and promises us an eternity in heaven. If you've never done that, if you've never by the grace of God seen your sin and repented and trusted in Christ, that is your only hope. There are two ways in this present life. There is one that is the road to destruction and one that is the road to eternal life. And it is the way to eternal life is to repent off the, and turn off the road of destruction and turn to Christ and follow Him. If you haven't done that, you need to do that. You must turn from your sins and follow Christ. And if that's you today, I pray that you would follow Him that you would walk with Him, that you would not leave here without dealing with that issue. What are you going to do with our Lord? What will be the road that you walk down in this present world? As I said, there's two roads. One ends in destruction and the other eternal life. May you choose the right road. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would come away from this study understanding the clear distinction between the two worlds here. Lord, we want to be a people who walk by faith, who put others above ourselves, who follow in the steps of our Master. Lord, we know that that is all of them. That is all by Your grace and for Your glory. And I just pray no one here today would leave without understanding that reality. In Christ's name, Amen.